Amen. Thank you. I might need a little more, Mr. Soundman. I don't have much of a voice left, but anyway. Uh, wanted to first say thank you to everybody that was praying for me over last week. It was a little, a little scary, but I'm doing better. And so thank you, everybody, for all your prayers and all the text messages and encouragement. I really do appreciate it. And it's nice to know that you do not stand alone. Amen. And we've had a busy week. I don't know if you've known or seen. There's another Lewis in the world. So Evan and Olivia had another wonderful granddaughter. So been a lot going on in our house lately. I've got a word this morning and literally this word came to me probably almost two months ago. And I was in prayer one morning and I just felt like that God began to pour out to me a prophetic word, but mostly for this house. And I'm sure that uh, if you're watching online uh, or wherever, if you're not a part of New Life Christian Ministries, that you can still get something out of it. Um, but nonetheless, I really felt this morning that it was for New Life Christian Ministries. And so what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to read this this morning, kind of as the Lord gave it to me, and then we'll be, begin to dissect it. And I don't know, I might need some brothers today to hold me still. Um, as you know, I like to wander and I like to go and if you see me holding on to this thing and it starts shaking, that's just because I want to run. Anyway, I'll try to stand still, but I, I promise you I will not. Anyway, so God, I do just thank you for your word this morning. I believe it's a word from you. So God, we ask that in this moment, God, nothing more be said and nothing less be said than what you have planned, God. I thank you for the spirit of revelation being in this house this morning. God, I thank you for the spirit of revelation resting in this place that we might understand the word, but not only that, God, that we might be doers of the word this morning. So we give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm just going to read this as I wrote it. We might have to read it twice, but nonetheless, I'm just going to read it to you, like I said, and then we'll dissect it a little bit. So a few months ago in my prayer time, I heard the Lord saying, I'm taking the church and specifically new life Christian ministries to places that I have promised them. The place where worship will blow the roof off this place and the place where the balcony is full. The place where I am Lord and my spirit is alive and my power will be on display for my glory's sake. We've seen or you've seen glimpses of these, but you have not seen the fullness of the promise yet. You see, I'm preparing the people and I will add and I will take away, says the Lord. Just like I led the children out of the wilderness to the promised land, you too will be faced with decisions to make. Whose report will you choose to believe? You are my people and if you allow me to be your Lord and you trust me and follow what I say, I will be true to my promises and true to you corporately and individually. Is there anything too difficult for me? Is there anything that I will not do that I have promised you, says the Lord? Now wholeheartedly put your faith, your hope, your trust in me and watch the wonders that I will do and perform in and through you and for you, says the Lord. Amen. That's a lot to digest. But God has promised a lot to us as a church and if you sit in here, you're a part of this church and there's promises and you wonder at times, I'm sure, 
will we ever get to these promises? And I'm sure there's more promises about this church that I'm not even aware of or I don't remember. I've only been attending here six years. So I'm sure there's promises that go back farther than I know that still haven't come to fruition yet. And all in God's timing. But nonetheless, a few that I have known about or been privileged to hear about is literally that this house would be known as a place where the worship would blow the roof off. What does that even mean? What does that even look like? Hopefully it doesn't literally blow that brand new roof off, right? But I suppose since he supplied it, he could supply another one, right? But there's words that said the balcony would be full, you know? And there's all these promises that God has given to the church corporately. And I can't answer this question for you, but what are some promises that you feel like God has promised you this morning, but you're still waiting? And how many of you have ever felt like you're wondering and you're waiting and you're like, God, is this ever going to happen? Anybody? One hand, me, all by myself. Thank you so much. <laughs> Don't leave me hanging this morning. I need you. I need a hallelujah sometimes, you know, just to let me know you're listening and hear me, not for my sake. From this word, though, God began to show me, like he mentioned in the word that he gave about the children of Israel. And we find this activity in the book of Numbers. And it's long. And so I'm not going to take the whole time to read all this to you. But this is the story um, where the children of Israel are wandering in the desert already. Okay? And Moses is their leader. And he's leading them. But it gets to a point in the journey while they're out in the wilderness and they've left Egypt. And they're going where? Where are they going? When they left Egypt, where were they going? They were going somewhere. To the promise, right? He promised them. Not just through Moses. This is a promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. All the way back, even before Moses. So Abraham didn't, isn't seeing this right now. He's gone. But Moses is leading the way. And so they're camped in the wilderness. And God speaks to Moses and says, go to Kadesh Barnea. And I want you to go there. And I want you to go and spy out the land. Right? That's what the Lord tells to Moses. And so Mo, I'm kind of giving you the Reader's Digest version here. But that's what Moses does. He gathers the people and they head to Kadesh Barnea. And I want to say something. It was an 11-day journey. Everybody say 11. 11. This number will be important in a minute. So they journey to Kadesh Barnea. And they arrive. And Moses did what the Spirit of the Lord told him to do. Is he gathered one person from every tribe. How many tribes? 400, 300, 9, 12. 12 tribes, right? One person from every tribe, and he sends them out. Let's go see what's in this land that God's promised us. So they go, right? They go, and they journey in, and what do they find? kind of interested just to see what you say. That's why I got quiet. What did they find? They found what? Giants. Interesting. The first thing was maybe a negative thing. Big fruit. Land flowing with milk and honey. That's probably how we've heard it, right? But a beautiful land. All this stuff. 
but there were giants, right? This great big obstacle. So they come back after being there how many days? How many days were they out spying the land? Anybody know? Not 11. How long were they in the wilderness? Guess how many days they were in spying out the land? 40. 40 days they spent spying out the land. And they come back. So these 12 leaders that are all united, right? We're going to go get our promise. We're going to check this out. It's going to be awesome. And they come back. And Moses says, what'd you find? And we found these grapes. You should see these things. They're ginormous. I actually saw a message one time where they were trying to mimic maybe of what these grapes look like, right? And so they had these guys with this big stuff, and they were trying to carry it in and make it look heavy, and it really wasn't that great. But you, you kind of got the picture. But these fruit was ginormous and good, right? So speaking of grapes, Gabby, my daughter, gave me a grape yesterday, and they're called candy grapes, right? Is she? Yeah. Not even cotton candy, just candy. And I popped one in my mouth, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I should not be eating this because I wanted to eat the whole thing. It was so good. Right? But that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. Fruit like that, whatever your favorite fruit was, they were ginormous. The land was beautiful and like farmland and hills and mountains and rivers and all this stuff that we'd always envisioned. But there were some obstacles in the way. How are we ever going to get into this land? These giants are in the way. These giants are in the way. These giants are in the way. The lions and the tigers and the bears. Oh, my. The lions. I feel like there were at least 10 of these tribes that that's what they were saying. The lions and the tigers and the bears. And so when they get in front of Moses and they're debating on what they should do, 10 of the tribes are saying, there's no way we can take this land. Absolutely not. We cannot do this. But then there's Joshua and Caleb. There's two. There's two in the, the silent majority. Why do you call them the silent majority? Because they had the vision in the heart of God. But listen to me, there were only two. And at some point, the noise gets so crazy in this meeting the noise gets so crazy that we can't do this, that Caleb is begging them. We can do this. Why? Because the Lord said we could. Because the Lord said we could. And he's never let us down. By the way, the number 11 on the journey to Kadesh Barnea speaks of chaos and judgment. God was already speaking what was going to happen in that meeting before they even arrived. An 11-day journey. That number means chaos and judgment. And in that moment, when out of their mouths came, said, listen, the word of the Lord came then and said, listen, since you guys have chosen to believe this report versus listening to the pleas of Caleb and Joshua, you're going to wander in the desert for every day that you spent spying out the land. Forty days. So they spent... 40 years in the wilderness, roaming around. I want to pause just a moment and ask you a question. If you were in there and you went out after that meeting and you're back out in the desert and you're roaming, 
what goes through your mind? Because also what came out of that word is not one of you under the age of 20 will enter into that promise because of your heart. That's what the Lord said. I'm not making this up. It's not meant to be a heavy because God's taking us somewhere and we're going to get there. But listen, where does your mind go? That had to be such a hard place to be and walk in knowing that will I ever see my promise? And then they knew I'm not going to get to see my promise. All because of what? came back, they didn't trust, right? God had delivered them out of Egypt. In order to get them out of Egypt, he had to part what? He parted a sea so that they could escape the Egyptians. They saw this miraculous thing. Now, I don't know when you read a story who you vision yourself being in the story. Right? Isn't that always funny when people tell a story and they kind of bring their side of it in, how they picture themselves and who they see they are in the story. But I'm going to say, there's been times in my life when I look back that I'm a part of the ten. I'm just going to be real. And the question, or the thing I ask myself is, why? Isn't the same God that said, I'm going to take you to the promised land, isn't that the same God that said, didn't I deliver you out of your crisis of diabetes when you almost died? Wasn't, aren't I the same God? So this giant that you see, am I not still able to deliver you? But they questioned the Lord, and that's what cost them. When they didn't put their faith and their hope and their trust in what God had already said. So that's hard to swallow, right, for some of us. But God is always true to his promise and the fact that I'm still going to take you into the promised land. So now that we've kind of focused on the negative part of this thing and you're all looking at me like, oh, man. I want to talk about Joshua and Caleb this morning. And if you forget everything else, put on your listening ears this morning and let's hear about Joshua and Caleb and so we're going to find these verses actually in Joshua, in the book of Joshua 1, and we're going to travel all the way through 1 through 6, and we're going to do it kind of quickly. So Father, I just thank for your Holy Spirit right now in this moment, God. I thank you for the spirit of revelation to say what you're saying to us in this church, God, right now. May we glean every part that you have for us in this word. May we glean every part, Father. May nothing be stolen in this moment. Come against the enemy right now in the name of Jesus that would try to distract from what you're trying to say, God. I thank you that you've given us all power and authority over him. In Jesus' name. Joshua was a lot different leader than Moses. Moses didn't really have any reputation of being military-minded, but Joshua's background, he had a little bit of fight in him. He was a bit of a fighter, and he was known to be a good one at that. And so that's, when Moses dies, it's no wonder that's who God chose. 
to lead the children of Israel. We have Joshua standing, who becomes the leader. But we have Caleb hanging around. And so in, in chapter 1, we know Moses dies, and God tells Joshua, it's now time to go. Okay? Moses has died, so the part of the promise where none of the people that are under the age of 20 don't get to go, now's the time. All those people have passed away, and God says, now I'm going to deliver you into the promise. And God told Joshua exactly how to do that. So in chapter 2, we see, even see how God uses a prostitute. What? Us church folk up in here don't want to hear about God using no prostitute. Let's be real. But God can use whoever he wants to. And he used exactly that. That whole family. To make sure, because isn't it interesting that even Joshua sent spies into the land, just like he knew of Moses. He's like, go check him out. And that's where the prostitute comes in, and he saves the, she saves the spies. But in chapter 3, they've got to cross a river. What is it with the children of Israel and water? <laughs> you know, I thought, what's a big deal, right? Man, this is a river. God parted the Red Sea. I did a little studying, and at this time of the year, when it's envisioned that the children were crossing the river, would not typically be the time that you'd want to do that. The water was very high and hard to get across and raging, and, but that's why the Bible makes a big deal about it. In order to get them there, they had to cross the Jordan. We're not going to spend a lot of time. In, in chapter 4, they pick up the 12 memorial stones of remembrance. Um, in 5, the news begins to spread about the crossing of the Jordan. Isn't it funny they didn't even have Facebook or TikTok to make a video when they crossed over and then making a memorial out of stones? And the whole world already began to know about it. wonder what that says, if we really need social media or not. So now we're, we, we gathered very quickly to Jericho. But before we get to Jericho, I want to share you this very thing. If you're taking notes this morning, please write this down with me. So we have the two leaders left that have been commissioned to take the children of Israel into the promised land. So let's start with Caleb, right? Because he's the one that was begging and pleading for the other ten tribes to say that we can do this. So Caleb's name means faithful, wholehearted, bold, and brave. That's what his name meant. Now, Caleb was the representative of the tribe of Judah. Everybody say Judah. Judah. And what do you think, you smart, wonderful people this morning, that the word Judah means? Praise or thanksgiving, right? So God's taken this man who's faithful, wholehearted. He's definitely bold and brave to bring thanksgiving and praise Then we have Joshua, the one that's been called on by the Lord to lead these people. Do you know what Joshua's name means? God is deliverance. God is deliverance. But Joshua was from the tribe of Ephraim. Listen to this this morning. The tribe of Ephraim Ephraim means 
In most Jewish circles, it means fruitful, but in the Jewish circles, it means double fruitful and productive. I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. Put it on your stovetop. It's cooking. I'm stirring it right now. You smell that? What Pastor Damien would? Mmm, that smells good. Listen. So they're to Jericho. Isn't it interesting that the very first city that they have to take is a walled city, notorious for nobody getting in? But God says, I'm going to take you in there and through there and on into the land. But they have to overcome this amazing city. And we've got Joshua. Again, Joshua's a military man, right? Let's grab the cannons and the airplanes and let's just go in and let's just, I don't know, bomb this walls. We've got all those smart bombs and stuff. You know, they can hit targets and we'll just tear this city down. We'll march on through. But that wasn't what God said to do. What did God say to do? Did he have some sort of plan that he wanted them to do? Anybody remember the story about Jericho? March around the city. By the way, they sent the priests and the singers out first. That doesn't really excite me being a singer. I'm just saying. I did read later that there were actually armed men in front of them, but nonetheless, they're still out front, right? But who sends the singers first? Who sends the priests first in a military battle of a city that cannot be taken? It's never been taken. They've got walls. You'll never get in. But God just said, do what I say. March around the city, right? But on what day? On what day? On the seventh day, do what? When you hear the priest blow a long blast, what do you do? Shout! Right? And that's exactly what they did. And they broke through into the promised land. And that's the end of the story. So have a great day. I'm glad you guys come. We're going to take up the offering. This is the part that you need to hear this morning if you don't hear anything else. The children of Israel were able to go into their promise. Remember the word this morning that came from the Lord about new life and your own personal promises. They were able to go and take the land. They were able to defeat Jericho and move on. And yes, there's trouble. there were troubles along and they did some things wrong. But nonetheless, they were still able to do it. But how did they do it? It's in the name. Listen to me. Say, it's in my name. It's in my DNA. Listen, Caleb's name means fruitful, wholehearted, bold, and brave. Joshua means God is deliverance. Judah means thanks and praise. And Ephraim means double fruitful. How did they take the land? They took it with double fruitful praise. You see... I've struggled with thinking, will I ever get to my promised land? And that's where the murmuring occurs. Will I ever get there? But what would happen if we just remember what God said? 
If we would just remember God said it was his promise. I don't care when you do it, God. Yeah, I've got my own personal opinion when I would like for you to do it. I'm not going to lie. But I know his way is better and his timing is better than mine. But nonetheless, the way to get there isn't my way. There's only one way. And God showed us the example exactly how to do it in Joshua and Caleb. They got there not by murmuring, but it was in their name. You see, when the spirit of revelation comes upon you, this is where I struggle. And I'm just going to, as a pastor, be real truthful for you, especially as a worship pastor sometimes. And I know that what I see with my eyes is not always indicative of what's going on. But let me just tell you, sometimes it is. My eyes aren't always wrong, even though they're not always right. But sometimes, not you guys, of course, but... When I've looked upon other churches <laughs> and other people, you're like, where's your praise? You see, the greatest miracle that ever happens for any of us that we could ever witness isn't somebody's leg growing out. That's miraculous. It isn't somebody being healed of cancer. That is miraculous. Those are things that we can never do. But you know the one thing that we also can never do? We can never save anybody. You cannot save one person. Only Jesus can do that. And it's the greatest miracle. And by guess what? It's the same miracle that all of us in this room have partaken of. And if you're saved today, that spirit came upon you and it was revealed to you that you needed a savior. And you said, God, yes, I do. Shouldn't that alone be enough for to blow the roof off of this place? Should it not be enough to blow the roof off this place that our God is good and I'm not the same person that I used to be? You're not the same person that you used to be. You see, that's the fruitful, productive praise. And by the way, it's double fruitful. It's double mint. It's double mint. It's double fruity. And what I love about this is that praise is productive. It's productive. It's doing something. God's responding. That's what that means. When you give it to him, he's like, oh, I see you. I see you. And I'm moving. I don't care whether you see it or feel it. The truth is, is we've got to learn to know. He's moving. We've got to get past singing the song. And I love that. It was an amazing song this morning. But it doesn't matter whether I see it. Or I feel it. And I'm going to tell you what, it's hard for me because I'm a feely, emotional kind of guy. You already know I'm the dude that cried during the E.T. movie. I don't know why. That sad little weird alien dude getting sick and about dying, I don't know. It just had me crying. But you know the only way that the balcony is going to be full, that we're going to get to that promise... The only way the roof is going to blow off of this place is if our praise is radical. And the only way you can have radical praise this morning is if you have radical revelation. It all starts at the beginning of the same word that God has given pastor for our church. And it starts right there. The more radical the revelation that you have of the love of God for you, 
will then in turn give you radical praise. Because honestly, we just said, if you accepted the Lord, whether you consider yourself to be a radical praiser or not, it's already in you. If you accepted Jesus, that radical praise is already inside of you. And I'm not here this morning to tell you what radical praise looks like or doesn't look like. But I'm telling you once in a while what it does look like. And sometimes you just can't help but jumping up and down with a big old PRS guitar strapped to your body like, I got to jump. Sometimes I might have to move. Because, ooh, I feel you, Lord. Again, it's not about feeling, but you know his spirit is moving. It's about clapping. And by the way, what did they do? Remind me again what they did. Thank you. On the seventh day, they shouted. Man, I don't think I shout enough. I need a hallelujah. I need a hallelujah, coach. Are you available? <laughs> But I just want to emphasize today that radical praise is in your DNA if you are a Christian. And it's time to stop letting the world, it's time to stop letting anything tell you what your praise and worship should be or should look like. And most especially, you should never let your feelings tell you what your worship should look like. Because your feelings are going to fixate on some giants. And all of a sudden, you're going to find yourself sitting down. And then you're going to find yourself, I'm not going to be the one that's going to get to enter the promised land. Now, that's harsh to say. But it's the truth. And let me tell you what. There's some of us, myself included, that have carried some things into our, prom or, excuse me, into our wilderness that God will not allow us to take out of the wilderness until it's left in the wilderness to die because he's taking us to a new place. That means God wants to strip us of some things. Let some things die in the wilderness. To me, when that word came and those people didn't get to see it, I'm okay with some things in my life not making it through because they're obviously things that God does not want us to carry into our promise. And so some of you have heard this story before a little bit. I'll give you the sweet and condensed version, not the Reader's Digest, because the sweet and condensed version is way better. By the way, you ever take sweet and condensed milk, drop it into a pot of boiling water for a while, let it sit, sit it on the counter for a little bit, and you know what happens when you open it up? Oh, it's caramel. Grab you some apples. Sorry. Distraction. Everybody focus. What's wrong with you? Come on. Focus this morning. Stacy and I have been on some interesting journeys in our life, probably like many of you have been. If you haven't heard this, though, there was a day in our life that I, quite frankly, called D-Day. And it didn't feel like we were on the winning side <laughs> of that rascal at all. But I want to tell you something. Before D-Day, and we talk about it, God had said some things to us early in our marriage. Some things like, uh, standing in, in presbytery, and if you don't know what that is, that's just where you come and you sit and men and women of God pray over you and, and speak whatever they feel like the Lord is saying. And Anyway, one of the brothers, um, as he's prophesying over us, he says, you know, 
you guys are newly married, but he says, man, you're going to go through the fire and you're going to go through it quickly. And isn't that a word you can just get excited about? Amen, brother. Praise God. You know, like, thank you, Jesus. You're going to take us through the fire quickly. And he's like, you're going to experience some things um, as young newlyweds that some people that have been married 40 and 50 years haven't experienced even yet. And there's a lot more to that word. But there was a promise that we would be in ministry and blah, blah, blah. But again, there's that word. It was a promise. The promise was is you're going to be in ministry and you're going to be active and blah, blah, blah. And I won't bore you with that. So we're walking out the journey, right? There's the word. Here's the word, right? And now's the journey. And we always think that the wilderness, though, is a bad place. But it isn't always a bad place. It's just the journey, right? They had to leave Egypt to get to the promised land, but they had to get there somehow, right? Fortunately, they didn't have Delta or American Airlines, and they had to walk, right? But they had to walk through the wilderness. They had to journey through. So back to D-Day. As we're journeying through the call that God's placed on our life, I don't even remember how all this happened, but I was laying carpet at the time. I don't have my tools anymore, so don't ask me if, if you need carpet laid. <laughs> However, laying carpet one day, there were some guys there doing something, and I was by myself that day, and I was putting a seam together. So I've got a hot iron in my hand. I'm putting two pieces of carpet together. Hey, man, we need to move your van. Okay, hey, man, the keys are up on the thing. Just move it. Do what you need. I, gotta, I can't leave. Okay. Brings it back in, and he says, man, you know, we dinged a little bit of your van. I said, it's no big deal. Okay, you know, no worries. I mean, this is an old carpet lane van. No big deal. Well, I go out after putting the seam together, and, you know, you, you think a little ding is like a little scuff or whatever. I think it was the whole right side of my van was basically caved in, like, kaboom. There was a tree behind my van, and he hit the tree. Apparently backed up and gunned that thing, and he had just got a little ding. I'm like, oh, great, that's awesome, you know. Anyway, a little later, Stacy calls me, and I think we had written a check for our insurance, looking for a nod. Anyway, somebody stole our check that was at the insurance company's desk. They took it over to Kmart. They basically scratched out the insurance company's name, wrote Kmart. They scratched out the amount, wrote the new amount, <laughs> scratched out the signature, wrote their signature, and it somehow went through. Ask yourself in your wildest dreams, how in the world did that ever even happen? I have no idea. Hallelujah. The story's not over yet. Just, this is why I don't like cell phones. Like, I'm afraid every time Stacy calls, it's going to be another D-Day. She didn't call me on this one, I don't think. She's like, there's some mail for you. I got home from my day. Piece of mail. I think it was Mercer County Court. Basically saying you're being sued for a mucho mando, a lot of money. Like, this is awesome. But you know what? 
to make a really long story short, the check thing was taken care of. Because God never fails us. That's our testimony. He never fails us. The van thing, it is what it is. I think, I don't even think I ever even turned it into the insurance. I'm like, eh, it's fine, whatever. But the court thing was a big deal because it was a lot of money. A lot of money. So when I say a lot of money, it was a lot of money. It was over a big, huge job, a big church, and there were multiple parties involved and a very angry constituent of church people. And so I don't really have a lot of money, especially the number that they had written on the document that they were asking for. I'm like, oh man, Lord. And I don't have money for an attorney. Those guys are good, don't get me wrong. I've got some friends that now that are attorneys, but at that time I didn't know anybody and they're all expensive. How are we gonna afford that? And I just remember praying, probably crying. God said, I'll defend you. I'm like, great, you gonna show up in the courtroom? <laughs> Can't wait, <laughs> that'll be awesome. That'll make the six o'clock news. Just tell the truth. I'll defend you. But you're going to defend yourself. Man, I, I can't tell you. I've never had butterflies like I've ever had in my life having to go to that courtroom that day. But what I do remember in all of that, and it was like a three-day process, two or three days, courtroom, blah, blah, blah. But I just remember being so worked up. You know how when you get the butterflies and everything is just churning in your spirit. I remember stepping out into the hallway, and I, I, I did. I just wanted to cry. Like, God, I don't want to be here. I can't do this emotionally. I am not equipped for this. That's what I'm thinking. Like, I just wanted to go over in the corner and cry like a little baby and suck my thumb. But God says, you're not equipped, but the me inside of you is equipped. And he says this to me. He says, what did I say? I will defend you. Tell the truth. I had to get my feelings out of the way in the journey and remove them and go back to what he said before I could ever get to the promise. So we go through that process and I felt like this Holy Spirit began to speak through me. I didn't know what to say. Only thing I know about attorney is anything I've seen on any courtroom show that my wife has watched. <laughs> Which I used to some of that, I think, by the way. I learned real fast what hearsay was. But nonetheless, we got through that whole three days and then we have to wait because you didn't get the verdict. The judge was gonna ponder all the evidence and then he would submit his verdict in writing. Like, well, I don't remember seeing any of that in a TV show. They always get the verdict that day, you know. But no, we still got to wait. But in the waiting came the trusting. Am I going to worry or am I going to trust? 
There was a lot of deep breaths, and God, I just trust you because you're the same God that took care of Jim and Stacy when there wasn't any money to buy food. When Jim was sick with those diabetes and he couldn't work the whole year, we didn't need any food because God provided. Our mortgage was always paid. I began to say these things out loud because it was the only thing that would soothe my spirit was declaring what the word of the Lord and what he had done. What is that? When you begin to declare out of your mouth what God has done for you, what is that? It's faith combined with it's praise. Say it. It's praise. You're praising God for what he's done for you. It stirs the spirit man inside of you and your faith is compelled to believe what he promised you he will do. Because honestly, I thought he was going to steal my sermon. But nonetheless, to have radical praise and to have that radical praise in your DNA, it takes radical faith sometimes to walk through the wilderness when all you can see is sand. And by the way, you know giants are on the other side of the wall. But back to the letter. So Stacy calls. She called. I remember this. You got a letter. I got home, and I remember seeing that letter on the counter. And I'm like, I'm just being real, guys. This is the trying of your faith. I did not want to open that letter. I'm like. But we opened that letter. Basically, just said, you're off scot-free. It's not your fault. We do not find you, your company, or any of that stuff liable. And it had nothing to do with me. Zero to do with me. But my question to you about the promises that God is trying to get to you, what are you willing to do in the midst of the wilderness? Because what you're willing to do in the midst of the wilderness will already begin to speak what the outcome is going to be. There are some people that never made it out of the wilderness. That's the harsh fact. But we are not those people. Today is a choice. And we can choose to trust in the name of the Lord and trust in all the things that he's done for us. I mean, can we be honest? What has God done for us? What's God done for you guys? Is there one thing? Many. Many things. And honestly, the journey did not look anything to Joshua and Caleb what they thought like. So as we're getting ready to wrap this up, listen, Joshua and Caleb's journey, just imagine, they're the ones that believed. God can do this. He's going to do this thing. And he did right through them. But nonetheless, in the midst of it, did they ever foresee a turn where 10 of the other tribes, the majority says, we cannot do this. You guys are outside your mind. You saw the same giants that we saw. We are not able. There's no way in the world to go in there and take that. You're ridiculous. That's the kind of language that the other 10 tribes were using. I challenge you to go and read 
the language and the pleading and numbers that Caleb was trying to do to get these people to turn their minds back to what God had promised and what God had said. I want to ask you a question this morning. Because my, I already know my answer. But has God ever lied to you? Did he ever tell you he would do something and not do it? Now, it may not have turned out how I thought it would or what it would look like or what I was wearing at the end of the day. But he's always faithful. But you know, sometimes when God gives a promise, there's a command. You can't expect the promise if you're not willing to obey. And I'm super thankful for God's graciousness towards me. I'm super thankful that he's slow to anger and he's gentle with me and he's loving and he's always steering me even sometimes when I'm fighting that thing. He's always kind of reining me back in. But you see, Joshua and Caleb, though they were from different tribes, they had a thing that bound them together in the end. It was a radical faith that just said, we'll obey whatever the cost is because we trust you. We've seen what you can do. In the end of the day, we don't look at this situation into the promised land as a land full of giants. We look at it as walking into what you told us you were going to give us. And who is God? He is not a liar. And he'll always be faithful. But I'm telling you today that while you're walking your journey and root to your promise, the journey into the promise in part is only achieved one way, and that's through radical, fruitful, productive praise. Because you see, if that's our posture while we're walking, there's no time to focus on a giant. We ain't got time for that. There's no time for the giant. And you've heard me say this before, but if you stand with me this morning as we get ready to close here, praise and worship at its root was never intended as warfare. Do you hear me? In the beginning, there was the Lord. And at that time, the enemy was a beautiful angel. He was a part of God's glorious plan up there singing and worshiping the Lord. It wasn't a battle. It was this purest thing of what worship could be. So you're saying, Jim, why am I telling you this this morning? Because when Satan fell and the demons went with him, that's where in part worship took a little different posture. It's still all about Jesus. But at the end of the day, the one thing that the enemy hates more than anything is when your focus is all about Jesus. 
And honestly, that's warfare all by itself. Because what's the one thing that Satan desires the most? Worship. That's what he wanted. And so when we don't give him that, that's when it becomes warfare. So I tell you this because if you choose to enter into a life today of radical worship, guess what? It's a radical fight. But you know the cool thing that I love about every Christian story? And if this, even on your crappiest D-Day, am I allowed to say that in church? Sorry. Even on your worst day, on your worst day, you go in your mind and you find your worst day. We win. You win. If you're in a place today and you walk out those doors and some madman drives up on the sidewalk and takes a dozen of us out, we win if you're saved. If you're a child of God today and you've given your heart and you're surrendered, we win. As you journey through the wilderness and you believe on the promise of the Lord, you win. You win. Father, I just thank you for this word. I thank you for your promises to this church, God. God, I thank you for the promises to the individuals in this room. For many of us, God, these are only things that you can do. We can't do them in and of ourselves. But God, the first thing I ask, if there's anything out of alignment within this, that's putting unrealistic expectations on your promise, God. We've dropped them to the wayside right now, Lord. We cast them aside and just call our spirit man to come rise up and come into alignment with what you're speaking in the promise, God, and not what we desire for the promise. God, just as you journeyed with the children of Israel all the way through the wilderness, God, I thank you that you journeyed with us on our way to the promise. And may our heart's desire be today, O oh God, that you strip us from anything that you did not see us taking into that promised land. If we're holding on to anything, Father, right now, God, I just declare by your Spirit that you show us. God, would you show us those things that are keeping us right now that said you cannot take that into the promised land. Would you show us, Father? But not only would you show us, God, give us hearts that are pliable to say, God, I'm sorry for carrying this thing that you did not want me to. Forgive me, God, I repent. And God, also, just like the children of Israel, before they entered into the promised land, they had to cross the river Jordan. But God, when they did it, you said, turn around each tribe member and pick up a stone. Pick up a stone and make a memorial. So God, we remember. We remember today those things that you've already done for this church. 
we remember the things that you've already done for us personally, God. And we praise you and we thank you now. And God, I pray that that spirit right now in the name of Jesus stir up radical praise in your people, that it would stir up radical DNA that lives and dwells with inside of them because you live inside of them, Jesus. You live inside of us, God. And the only way we get there to where you said is if we do it in you and through you. It's not by my power or by my spirit, but your power, God. So, God, I thank you today. I thank you, Jesus. And we are going to the promise. I thank you that the roof is going to blow off this place in its fullness measure. God, I thank you that the balcony is full, God, just how you saw it and how you see it. And God, all the other words that I don't know about this church, God, that are yes and amen and are according to your purpose and your plan, God, we join our spirit with them right now and we just say yes and amen. Now for us individually. God, stir up that radicalness inside of your people, God, to understand that if you said it, that settles it. If you said it, then that settles it. God, cause our spirits to come into perfect alignment right now. God, may you be the plumb line and only you. May we not drag one thing into that or subtract one thing and thinking that we're still going to get it. May we come into perfect alignment with you. So, Father, I thank you that we have an onboard God. We have an onboard Holy Spirit that at any moment when we stray from the course can give us that nudge. And, God, may we be quick to hear and quick to respond when the nudge comes. This is the way. And, God, when you ask us to do something that seems kind of crazy in order to get some walls down, may we be obedient. May I be obedient when you ask something that just seems all out crazy, God. God, now I just leave this word into your hands. Continue to stir my heart, God, as you've spoken to me. Continue to speak to the people. And may we always be mindful that the journey into the promise is met with radical praise. God, we just say we love you. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.